Welcome to War Room, the official podcast of the U.S. Army War College Online Journal, graciously supported by the Army War College Foundation. Please join the conversation at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. We hope you enjoy the program. Make sure not to miss a single podcast and subscribe to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast at iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite subscription service. The views expressed in this presentation are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect those of the U.S. Army War College, U.S. Army, or Department of Defense. Welcome to A Better Peace, the War Room podcast. I'm Ron Granary, Professor of History at the Department of National Security and Strategy at the U.S. Army War College and podcast editor of The War Room. It's a pleasure to have you with us. For 50 years, the Eisenhower Series College program has been the U.S. Army War College's communication and outreach program designed to encourage dialogue on national security and other policy issues between its students and the broader public. In pursuit of the dialogue, War College students in the program travel across the country, speaking to college classes, voluntary organizations, think tanks, and other public forums. In our age of corona and social distancing, the ESCP has unfortunately had to scale back the travels of our students. Here at A Better Peace, however, we hope to pick up the slack by providing extra opportunities for Eisenhower program participants to share their expertise and insights. Today's podcast is the second of an intended series of such episodes. Today's broad topic is modern communications and social media, including how they impact national security and shape contemporary politics and society. Our guests today are three members of the U.S. Army War College Class of 2020. Colonel Ryan Erler is an Army Special Forces officer with over 22 years of operational experience who has commanded a joint task force to defeat ISIS in Syria and Libya and was involved in several hostage rescue operations in the Middle East and Africa. He is a graduate of the University of Michigan with a degree in civil and environmental engineering, as well as a master's degree from the Naval War College. Lieutenant Colonel Henry Schantz is an Air Force command pilot with over 2,300 total flight hours in fighter aircraft. He was the commander of the 525 Fighter Squadron, one of the five operational F-22 squadrons. He is a graduate of the U.S. Air Force Academy and holds an MS and an MBA. Lieutenant Colonel Steve McNamara is a tactical air control party member with over 15 years of service, specializing in strategic air power, joint fires integration, and close air support. He holds a master's in business administration and a master's in finance, both from Northeastern University and is currently with the Pennsylvania Air National Guard. Welcome, gentlemen, to A Better Peace. Thanks for having us. Thank you much. Thank you, Ron. All right. So usually uh, at, a, at a public event for the Eisenhower program, each of you would give a speech to the audience before we started the Q&A. We don't want to have full speeches here today, but I would like to hear um, the topic that each of you would have spoken on and a, a little bit about that. I'll start with you, Ryan. All right, Ron. Hey, thanks very much. Uh, first of all, um, obviously a very uh, unique way of uh, delivering this, uh, this information to you, but uh, really <laughs> looking forward to the opportunity. Um, my speech generally revolves around uh, relationships, and uh, I'd like to start off with an interesting quote I had heard from the Vice Chief of Staff of the Army. The, he said that relationships start out as transactional, then they become partnerships with shared objectives, and then they become friendships. And I want to talk about the power of relationships and the importance of having and being reliable partners. But I'm also going to touch on how social media and secure messaging apps have changed the game. I'll start out by telling you about three years working with the Syrian Kurds to combat ISIS in Iraq and Syria. I've been in the military for over 22 years, 18 of which have been in special operations. 
And working with our Kurdish and Arab partners to defeat ISIS was definitely the highlight of my career. What we did would not have been possible without the secure communications afforded by today's modern messaging tools. In 2014, we assisted with the defense of Kobani. We provided terminal guidance operations through a proxy force on the ground against ISIS fighters. And there's nothing new about that. But how we did it in 2014 is very new. We facilitated bomb delivery from the most modern air assets to a proxy force in combat using social media and secure messaging apps to relay information. Personnel on the ground in Syria were able to communicate with U.S. operators in Iraq, coordinating with our Kurdish allies there, and then relaying that information to the aircraft overhead. We were able to provide terminal guidance and extremely accurate fires in an urban environment, which is very difficult even when you have direct eyes on. So the modern technology that that gave us only improved over the years. So by the end of 2018, as we were continuing to support our Syrian Democratic Force partners, we had fully integrated social media and messaging apps into the operations, not only to message friendly civilians behind enemy lines, but also to gain insight into enemy activity through the posts of individuals, such as Raqqa being silently slaughtered uh, or observing what others are saying, and also getting the message out through our partners about what is happening on the ground. Really uh, interesting topic, and I'm looking forward to the rest of the conversation, Ron. Thanks, Ryan. Great. Steve, how about your experience, what you are speaking on and what you've been working on at the War College? Sure, Ron. Uh, I appreciate it. Um, I'll focus on on two things that are, are closely interrelated to what I've been studying uh, the past year, and that's really disinformation and misinformation. For the Eisenhower program, uh, I, I did one speech on uh, the effects of fake news uh, in the United States and why it's so common, specifically mm-hmm. uh, in the States, it's so common because of the recent uh, evolution of Russian disinformation operations uh, since really about 2007, as the internet has become more prevalent in, in all of our daily lives. Uh, the ease at which disinformation and misinformation is shared through social media and also American citizens' general lack of awareness of how disinformation has really sort of trickled into their everyday lives. Uh, There's a a great point uh, as I was researching my research project that uh, an average American every day will scroll through 26,000 pieces of of information. Uh, If you put that end to end, it's about the height of the Statue of Liberty. So (laughs) the point of my speech is is examining what the Baltic states have done to combat Russian disinformation and some of the lessons learned from uh, from our partners uh, on the eastern flank of NATO. So really four things specifically. Uh, we can learn from task forces uh, set up by the European Union. The East Strategic Communications Task Force is a great example. Uh, they Their mandate is to discover uh, Russian disinformation, attribute it back and create factual counter-narratives and share that information amongst its networks of partners. Uh, We also look at public awareness campaigns set up by Sweden designed to make their their population more resilient uh, against uh, against disinformation by improving the country's media literacy. Uh, Also, there's a great example out of Estonia. Their Cyber Defense League has what they call a cyber auxiliary, where they poll or I'll say... um, well, they'll recruit volunteers from their civilian cybersecurity um, industry 
to, uh, to aid in the defense of Estonian cyberspace. Uh, and I think that's a really great example of how the military can partner with civilian industry to, to, defend, uh, to defend themselves in cyberspace. And lastly is uh, looking at some of the legislation that the uh, European Union has passed to uh, help attribute information that is shared on social media and also protect uh, an individual's data rights. That ties closely in with my research project, which is examining how a modern democracy such as the United States uh, can use social media as a tool for uh, influence operations. Uh, specifically, how can we maintain our credibility and authenticity uh, while staying on message and changing the attitudes and perceptions of a, another nation's population uh, in favor of U.S. interests. Well, all right. Well, thanks, Steve. Henry? Yeah, Ron, thanks for uh, having me today. Uh, I am also looking at uh, some of my studies for this past year in social sure. media, primarily uh, more on an internal look uh, for social media for the military and how it actually is a little bit of a leadership challenge. Uh, so let me just start by saying this is not a social media is bad. This is not okay. um, anything along those lines. This is something where social media is becoming such an integrated fabric of our lives, especially for uh, anyone born after uh, 2000 or so. Uh, when you look at it in 2000, there really wasn't social media. By 2010, uh, just under a billion people were a part of it. And now in 2020, we're talking about worldwide, if there's some type of uh, either cell service or internet service, there is an opportunity uh, for people to be involved in social media. It helps us coordinate our lives. It helps us live our lives um, and it provides uh, specific outlets. But for challenges for the leaders in our military, um, it really looks at uh, a couple things. Uh, number one, responsibility to make sure that we're uniform across the force. There's times where um, the social media and how it's used are completely different um, from service to service, from base to base or post to post. Uh, and even in between the units there that I think that um, some people, as they move around and shift around, it's a little bit of a change um, that can breed a little bit of, uh, of an issue uh, inside, of, uh, inside of the unit. Uh, as well, it kind of leads to a distracted work uh, environment at times, which can be uh, detrimental. And it's definitely something that uh, leaders uh, have to look at as they uh, continue to, uh, to point their force in getting the mission done. Right. There's a, there's a couple other things with security um, that I know that uh, Steve and some other people are probably going to talk a little bit more about. And the, my last part that I looked at was the mental health. And for the mental health perspective, this is one of those uh, very difficult things because social media, like I said, it has been a great tool, but it's expanding at a rate and a scope that's really difficult to keep up with, especially for people who didn't grow up with it. And as we all continue to learn how to use it, everyone uses it just a little bit differently. And what has been uh, shown out there is that social media has some addictive tendencies. It hasn't been classified as a disease or disorder, but there's definitely some issues uh, with withdrawal symptoms. Uh, people show that when they don't have it, anxiety, depression. When we talk about people going on deployments and possibly not having those outlets or that access, uh, that's definitely concerning. And there's also a real concern as people come into the military, uh, some of the things that they've been exposed to or dealing with uh, prior to even either enlisting or coming into the military. So 
there, there's a there's a wide variety of issues that we definitely need to look at, uh, and I'm excited to talk about some ways that we can get after that. Great, thank you, Henry, and thanks to, to all three of you. I am fascinated about this. I, I think about our our ages, right? I know I, I'm I'm older than you are, but uh, not by much. But all of us are old enough to have gone to college uh, or the academy before Facebook before Twitter and to see how rapidly these tools now they don't they appear and they go they go from being curiosities to necessities and I am uh, I'm interested to ask all of you in your experiences uh, in in your command experience before you came to the war college is how have you watched the younger officers uh, and the younger enlisted uh, people who've come uh, come up in your units um, how their their expectations for their for their use of social media, um, have you had as a as a commander in, in whatever position have you had to police the social media activities of people under your command? I'm curious about that. Start with you, Ryan. Do you uh, what's your, what's been your experience? Yeah, Ron, a great question, and it's a resounding yes. Uh-huh. Um, there is certainly an expectation for social media use. I think most of our soldiers and uh, junior leaders, be it non commissioned officers or officers or warrant officers, understand the danger. But at the same time, you know, getting a little bit to maybe Henry's concerns about the addiction or mm-hmm. maybe not a full understanding, it, we still see prevalent use. So we definitely address the problem. We, we, we talk about being careful not to use GPS-enabled devices when you go for a run. We've seen a lot of examples of that online and, you know, examples of correcting Google Earth with the locations of, you know, dining facilities overseas there's all sorts of, of examples, and one of my favorite examples, because it's not the U.S. Army, is the the war by excuse me the uh, article by the Atlantic Council called "Hiding in Plain Sight," which talks about Putin's war in the Ukraine, and they do through social media analysis are able to figure out when Russian soldiers are actually involved in fighting in the Ukraine because of posts of junior officers. So luckily, <laughs> it's not just a U.S. problem, but it is certainly something we face on a day-to-day basis. Both in educating our people, because it is rarely, um, you know, done with ill intent. However, right. it still happens. It still happens. Um, Steve, what's what do you think about when uh, when you talk to people about how they use their social media or how the information comes? Um, do you find that you've had to uh, correct or educate uh, people under your command? Uh, well, <clears throat> so I'll say from this perspective that the young enlisted that we have coming in now and and young officers as well, as far as their awareness of the security concerns that uh, come with social media, they are by far Mm -hmm. so much more aware than I am as an old millennial. Uh, (laughs) And the the main difference isn't the awareness, it's the level of risk that they're comfortable with accepting, uh, Mm -hmm. where we'll talk a lot about, did you know that this yeah, we talk about PII on Facebook. Uh, if mm-hmm. if this information is available, you're at risk. If this information is available, you're at risk. One of the, the things that, they, that you hear a lot about is if you're on vacation and you post pictures, people will know you're not home. Uh, and that scares mm-hmm. a lot of people uh, who are, I'll say, uh, from the previous generation. But for, for <laughs> most millennials, especially young millennials, especially Gen Zers, they are co- totally fine with that because that's the world mm-hmm. that they've grown up with. So from that perspective alone, there's a difference. Um, another unique perspective I bring is just being a, a, a national guardsman. Uh, mm-hmm. Drill weekends are extremely important for us. It's our one chance a month, really, to get everyone together and to do a lot of valuable annual training. Right. And 
but we do have uh, we do have people that miss drill weekends for a lot of important reasons. And social media has, in several cases, been a gotcha when they've <laughs> submitted submitted reasons for missing drill weekend, and then they'll post on Instagram or Snapchat or Facebook a totally different narrative of what they were up to that weekend. So it's, that has been a learning curve. Uh, I think the most valuable thing that senior leaders, officer and enlisted alike can do is be that tie-in for where social media connects with the the larger operational and strategic picture. Uh, And I Mm -hmm. think that's important to provide that context. So those, uh, so those young enlisted young officers can learn why it's important to monitor their uh, social media presence. Right. Which, which feeds right into what you were talking about, Henry, in your, in your comments about dealing with issues of distraction or addiction. Um, I am curious, how do we understand the kind of training that, that uh, officers and enlisted, uh, enlisted people, uh, that they get about their use of social media? Uh, I, I, the temptation, of course, whenever you want to, uh, give anybody instruction just to say, you know, just don't do it. Um, just say no. But nobody really says that, and certainly nobody expects them to say no. Um, but uh, I guess we want to figure out is how, how and when and where people are allowed to say yes to using their social media. Um, what kind of progress have have the services made in dealing with those issues of of training and encouraging good habits? Ron, that's a a great question. When you when you talk about how we instruct or teach social media, I think that's first of all something that's very lacking uh, overall. Mm-hmm. When we talk about people growing up with it, um, I don't think that there's anyone really teaching great habit patterns to fall back on. Number one, mm-hmm. number two, yeah. um, as as we get into the work environment, you know, there's there's a lot of different work environments. Some you you can't be distracted at all. I mean, specifically in the Air Force, cell phones are not even allowed in um, control towers. They put restrictions on that when you're uh, working on jets on the the maintenance flight line. But it's different when you talk about maybe some people who are working in a finance or a a comptroller squadron or something that maybe doesn't have that um, intensity or uh, specificity for a focus there, uh, that they have a little bit more leeway of of using that. Um, Part of the the things that we've used in a flying squadron are that the chat is a way that now people communicate all the way from uh, in the tower down to the squadrons over to the operational support squadron, which runs the airfield. Everything's done via chat. And so they're, they're very used to that. So as we start to talk about just their personal use during work times, um, they use some of those same uh, capabilities and some of those same programs. And now we're running back and forth and it's like, well, if you're over there talking to them, can you just jump over to your own chat and start talking with someone else about that? Uh, and it just becomes something that you have to work with uh, to teach people, you know, when is an appropriate time to do it? When is it not? Uh, and I think in a in a society, you know, specifically even for me, you know, a lot of people want the answer now. They want it quick. Um, and okay. so the, the five, 10 seconds that they might go to do that uh, is really something that we need to think about because um, I've read some studies that as soon as you start to check maybe a cell phone or you check an app or you do something like that, you lose concentration to get fully back on task. They've shown it takes about 11 minutes. And if you're just checking your phone every time that it buzzes, uh, on average, you're talking about about 150 to 200 times a day. And with, you know, five to 10 seconds of doing that each time, it starts to add up to a, a very long amount of time that uh, you're really not focused on on the job that you're doing. Sure. Steve, you wanted to add something to this? I just wanted to make... Uh make the point about 
as we're throwing out these cautionary tales, the, the right. good that social media has done, you know, in your introduction, you mentioned uh, the spread of COVID-19 and right. uh, the, the dialogue that has occurred on social media between command uh, and families over Facebook or Twitter has has been terrific. It's it's an amazing tool for information sharing, and you see certain leaders who've used it well. You mm -hmm. see certain leaders who have used it not so well. But if it's right. used properly, it's a, a direct line to the, the families. It's a direct line to to the the soldiers, sailors, airmen, marines, and it's a it's a dialogue that can help uh, assure them in this time of of, of crisis. For sure. Um, I'm going to go to Ryan. You mentioned the that you've used you use social media in the field, and uh, obviously, don't want you to tell us anything that you're not allowed to tell us. But I am curious, um, the idea of being able to communicate instantly with lots of different folks has real value. Did you find that that meant that your the 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 people under your command were were better able to deal with that kind of fast paced information environment because they were used to using social media in their civilian lives? Ron, yeah, that's a, that's a great way to characterize it. And I think it really builds on what Henry and Steve said is there is a certain, you know, there's a, the level of comfort that you bring to the military with understanding and using social media and various chat platforms really impacts how you perceive the value and effectiveness of these messaging apps and social media in, in combat use. And to your point, I'm not going to use any specific names, mm -hmm. but we've, we've probably touched on almost every one of these platforms at some point or other, because much like we have our comfort or our preferences, you know, so do our partners mm -hmm. uh, and so do our allies. You know, forces from the United Kingdom or from France may be more comfortable with a particular tool than we are. What's really interesting is watching people really balance the, the massive onslaught of information that can come to you because you can receive through multiple apps the same information and really it's on the user or on the leader who is processing that to kind of sift through the information and, and, and kind of pluck out what is redundant, what is important, etc. And then of course the you know the the underlying concern there too is what constitutes official communications. Right. So if I relay something on a satellite communication tool, a standard military tool to a commander in the field and then follow up with a chat five minutes later does that chat supersede the quote unquote official communications or not? And there's a, there's a certain level of comfort there and really understanding that in, interpersonal relationship as to how that's going to be perceived. Um, it's, it, it, it's, an, it's an interesting problem. It has certainly made us more effective and flattened communications, but it requires a little bit of practice, especially for, to, to counter Steve's point, I am probably a young Gen Xer versus an old millennial. Over. <laughs> That's all right. Well, I'm as an old as an old Gen Xer, right? I'm 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 very interested in this because one thinks about the the traditional uh, sort of war movie image of the the unit commander who's got uh, the radio uh, the radio operator running alongside of him, and he's constantly turning over to him and grabbing the headset and you know barking an order or barking a command or a request. And now the commander can bark, but then individual soldiers um, and airmen can can if not bark, they can at least, uh, for want of a better term, they can yap uh, by sending messages on uh, social media. Um, Henry, uh, I also wanted to come back to you on this because we keep getting back to this idea of people can be comfortable with something. They know how to use it. Steve mentions right, people show up and they have a real sense of 
they they know the dangers, but they're comfortable with those dangers. But somebody has to be the person who is setting up the, I don't know, helping helping to set the boundaries. So it's like you know, you individual, you know, lieutenant, you individual sergeant, you individual corporal might be comfortable sharing this information with the world. But guess what? You're not allowed to share that information with the world. Uh, at least not in your official capacity. And somebody has to encourage them or teach them to do that. How do we, how do we create it so that it's not just stu- uh, uh, people in uniform being told these things once a year when they do their uh, when they do their training or at the beginning of their training, but that that we can actually encourage better habits rather than simply identify bad habits. Sure, Ron. When you when you talk about uh, a leader trying to institute some norms. Number one, you, you need to get everyone, of course, to buy into that. Sometimes uh, everyone um, specifically would have different opinions on exactly how and when to use some social media. Um, however, I think it's really important um, that the leader uh, sets what the tone is, that the leader is not, number one, afraid to use it, uh, doesn't at the same time overuse it, um, they have to go ahead and just set a line to go what is appropriate and what is not. Um, a lot of times I've heard people specifically use some of these social medias and it's like, hey, now I feel like I can't post my own uh, life on these social medias because I'm now friends or I'm, you know, um, everyone who's in my unit is now party to what I'm doing. Um, mm. It just becomes one of those times where you have to temper the fact that Yet we're in the military. We need to maintain a social decorum. We need to make sure that we maintain good order and discipline. But at the same time, we want to encourage that people are able to uh, feel comfortable and reach out. So uh, from number one, how do we do that? We have to set those norms uh, in the squadron and we have to demonstrate those as well. Leaders who write off social media or aren't going to use it or anything else uh, are just leaving that open as a vulnerability for, for them to use. There is a concept called uh, collective coping. It's uh, hmm. using social media and specifically social relationships to uh, cope with issues. And specifically now during the pandemic, more than ever, uh, you can see that people are reaching out. You know, they're showing their daily lives even more. They're asking for opinions. Um, and really, just as uh, we are uh, every day in class right now, uh, we are just figuring out through social media how to live our lives and how to make those personal and deep connections that we would normally get on a face-to-face type of basis. Interesting, which is which is a positive way to think about it. And of course, is the the ultimate goal, right? Even, even uh, Mark Zuckerberg always wants to talk about the most important thing is connection. Um, but one of the things I want to make sure that we talk about in the, in the time that we have left here, now that we've talked about the tools um, and we've talked about their use, um, I want to get to the issue of information because we do get back to this problem as, as Steve, you, uh, you brought up and that, I, but also that Ryan and Henry, you mentioned as well, the, the issue of the fact that it's so easy to communicate means yes, you can communicate important things. You can communicate useful things, but you can also um, communicate and share dangerous things, hurtful things, or just plain incorrect things that aren't going to do anybody any good. And so the question then becomes, how should we, um, as people who work to serve a free society that treasures freedom of expression, in what ways can one encourage the proper, you know, put that in quotation marks, right? The proper use of this kind of technology to make sure that people are sharing 
that, that they're sharing information. They're not sharing mis or disinformation. Steve, you mentioned a few things. I want to give you a minute to, uh, to, to refer to that again. I think the most important part when we talk about how people use information and how they digest information comes down to media literacy. Uh, and a mm. quick definition of that is the person's ability to spot misinformation, disinformation, at the very least, something that could be construed as, as misleading or overly slanted. Uh, and there's two, uh, two really good ways to do that. And, and the first one is lateral reading. Uh, and that's just mm-hmm. simply going to an external uh, site to research something that you may have come across on one of your social media feeds. And uh, the second point, which I think is really the most important part, is you know recognizing your own biases uh, as you're scrolling through uh, scrolling through your social media feed. As you're as you're just thumbing through the feed, you know you're you're just catching a quick glimpse of a headline, and the people who are posting know that, so they're going to make sensational headlines that are are meant to draw you in, that are meant to elicit an emotional reaction, and that's usually your your first uh, your first trigger point to realize that what you're reading and what you're digesting might be disinformation or fake news of some kind. Um, Mm. How we go about doing that to, uh, as you said, in in, in a country like ours in a free society, I think is simply uh, giving people the opportunity to, to learn through public awareness campaigns. uh, Like I mentioned earlier, the other part of it is the government through legislation ensuring the transparency of the information that is being shared. And if you look at the European Union's general data protection regulations, uh, they have taken a lot of strides to ensuring that the information that people receive is is transparent and it can be attributed to a source. And and that has Mm -hmm. gone a long way to protecting people from getting, or I should say, digesting too much disinformation. Well, and uh, once again, to use a classic old World War II movie example, right? The idea of the uh, the platoon commander who would censor letters before they went out. Obviously, you can't censor you you can't censor a WhatsApp chat, or you can't censor a uh, or even an email very easily. Um, you can tell your soldiers what they should and shouldn't say. Um, but you can't necessarily control it. And similarly, right, it's not just everybody's not just waiting for that copy of Stars and Stripes in the morning anymore, right? People can get their information from everywhere, which leads me, Ryan, I was going to ask you as someone out in the field, how often would a typical operator uh, be able to pick up his or her phone and communicate with the outside world or get information from the outside world? Well, Ron, I think there's a, that is a very broad question. It is. Um, when you say the when you say the typical operator in, in a special <laughs> operations community, more often than not, we are working with a partnered force. Yes, and that partner force will almost always have some form of access. Uh-huh. So we conduct the training and teaching that you that you you know reference to really reinforce the social and physical awareness for our own people, recognizing what can endanger your force or what can endanger your mission, and not posting it or at least managing how you disseminate that information. But it's a whole nother layer when you add on a partner or proxy force who may or may not have tools that you are aware of. Right. They may have a cell phone in their pocket that even though before we go on an operation, we, 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 we discuss not bringing phones and things like that on, on target. We discuss securing that information, but you oftentimes don't find out about it until you know possibly weeks, months, or ever because it may be posted in a foreign language on a foreign site that you have zero access to. 
So oh it's really that understanding and awareness and, and teaching and coaching and mentoring the people you're with to build that level of trust. And then knowing that, you know, understanding that the partner force you're working with, some are fantastic and have better awareness than we do, and some do not. And so it's really understanding your environment and, and acting accordingly, and then just being on guard. So it's really teaching, coaching, and mentoring across the whole spectrum that, that makes us successful. Interesting. And well, and and that that gets me back to you, Henry, because I'm curious, someone who's been with a, a fighter squadron, uh, fighter squadrons are worlds unto themselves uh, that, uh, you know, what kind of, what kind of, uh, of cross pollination is there with, with partner forces, with, uh, with folks who might come in with different, uh, different levels of training or different levels of experience versus being able to have as the commanding officer of a, of a squadron to have a pretty clear sense that everybody in the group has heard the same things and knows the same rules. Yeah, that, that, uh, that's a great question. When, when we talk about, um, what we normally do as a fighter squadron and how we, uh, employ there, there are times that we'll brief with people, we'll be embedded with them. Um, and we'll definitely fly missions, um, combat missions with, uh, all types of international partners. Uh, but when it comes down to it, when it's inside the union, uh, the people that we consistently work with on a daily basis, the planning cells, all the rest of those kind of things, we're, we're governed by a lot of different um, restrictions based on classifications, based on uh, all types of, uh, of planning. Um, and we don't have to be as concerned um, when you talk about um, having those social media sites up. What we are more concerned about is um, what other international partners may or may not use as their you know, common basis of um, the, the security concerns that we in the United States Air Force use. So for the most part, it's not as embedded uh, as what Ryan is talking about and being concerned along those lines. Um, it is a little bit more restrictive just based on the fact that, you know, we're off, we're flying our airplanes. No one else specifically has the F-22, unlike, you know, F-35s and how they might integrate there in the future. Um, but it's a, it's a little bit more controlled uh, when we go through it. And specifically when we go deploy and some other things, just like the Army and what was seen with the 82nd Airborne, uh, you know, taking the cell phones or having that awareness. Uh, we do those same type of uh, security type of restrictions on some of our social media sites so that uh, we make sure that we protect both the mission we're doing and the people that we're with. Right. And of course, effective missions require effective communication and effective communication means using the best possible technology, but trying to use it in the best way. Uh, gentlemen, I really do appreciate the three of you coming on to talk about this. We could go on into many other subjects, but for now, uh, this conversation on uh, social media and the military has been very useful. I hope that the uh, I hope that the audience feels the same way. But thanks to Ryan Erler, Steve McNamara, and Henry Chance for joining us today on A Better Peace. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Ron. Thanks, Ron. Appreciate it. You bet. And thanks to all of you for listening in. Please send us your comments on this program and all the programs and send us your suggestions for future discussions. Uh, this conversation might have to come to an end, but the conversation will continue. And we're always interested in hearing from you. But until next time, from the War Room, I'm Ron Granary. And that concludes our program. Thank you for listening. The views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views, policies, or positions of the U.S. Army or the Department of Defense. Let us know what you think. Provide us your feedback, comments, or suggestions through our webpage at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. And have a great day.